In today's podcast, we're going to be talking about motivation, but you might hear some interesting sounds in the background. I just want to let you know that I am holding a two-month-old baby that is in the middle of hiccuping. (laughs) (laughs) So that's not us, but there might be some funny sounds in the background. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the STEM Space, hosted by Vivify co-founders Claire and Natasha. Two aerospace engineers turned educators, sharing our passion for all things STEM. Check us out at vivifystem.com. So Claire, in your role as a STEM teacher, do you have any problems with motivating your students to do the different design challenges, whatever your lesson is? Do you ever have any challenges just getting them motivated? Yes. Yeah, I'd say that's a huge problem. It's one of my big challenges. Give me some examples. Like what, what kind of um, things do you notice? Are they just pouting and don't want to do it? What are are they doing in your class? It's usually related to like a shutdown where either they don't think they can do something, so they just won't. Or mm-hmm. they're in a group and they don't like who they're working with. And so they're just like, well, you know, they're going to figure it out. I don't really need to do anything. I don't really want to talk to them. Or maybe they just don't. Because my, my class is not for a grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they don't see any value in, in trying. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's my problem as well. Because I'm doing the after school space club program. And those kids don't even have to show up. <laughs> The yeah. program, and so just getting them there in the first place was always a challenge. And then once they're there, they just want to hang out with their friends. They're probably there because there's a cute boy in the class <laughs> that they want to hang out with. You know, they have all these other motivators that aren't necessarily our content. Mm-hmm. So, in today's podcast, I wanted to talk about motivation and what are some strategies to help students stay motivated, but also going a little deeper into perhaps what are their um, motives? You know, how do we get those kids to really engage with the content to push them to learn and get a deeper understanding? So my first question is, what are some strategies you use in your classroom? Because I know you have the awesome points jar, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. So we've mentioned this before in this podcast, but I have an awesome point jar that if I catch students using positive self-talk or growth mindset or encouraging their classmates, their teammates in a challenge, then they earn an awesome point. And that is a pom-pom that they get to add to a jar. Each class has their own jar. And when that jar is filled with pom-poms to the top, then they get to do something awesome like launch a rocket or uh, have a party or something in class. So that's one way that I try to motivate my students just to encourage each other to keep going, but to actually do challenges is another issue. So usually I just try to make sure that the challenges that they're doing have something exciting for them to take home or show off, or I take pictures of them to post outside my classroom on a bulletin board that gets them excited to be able to show off like, Hey, look what third grade made you know, or get to show their parents during a parent night. Mm -hmm. But there's still some students that there's one in particular, I have a sixth grader who I cannot get to do anything. And I'm really struggling with that. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Ooh, okay. 
So let me start with that awesome points jar. We had okay. talked about behavioral learning theory a few podcasts back, which is looking at the actions that students are doing. And so you're rewarding a certain behavior. So they're on task, they're working well on a team, they're completing the challenge, so you're rewarding that behavior. And I think that's a great way to get some of those behaviors, but there's also a possible negative to that, which is they're dependent on these extrinsic rewards. And we had a whole podcast, if you remember, mm -hmm. about that. Um, and then there's the flip side is having some form of punishment, which could be bad grades or going to the principal's office. But that really, where does that get you? They're probably going to not like you. They're going to be even more upset at the content and just completely shut down. So in class, what we talked about was how can we get down to the underlying cause of that behavior? And so looking at motivation more from a cognitive level and what is impacting motivation? And so she broke it down into two areas. There's choice and then there's the necessary effort for that activity, the content they have to learn, whatever it is. So for choice, and you've probably heard, come across this, the idea of self-efficacy. So first yes. of all, am I even capable of doing this? How does, when you hear self-efficacy, what does that mean to you? Can I even complete the task? And how do you feel about self-efficacy in terms of engineering and science? How do you think the idea of self-efficacy impacts our students? Oh, I think that's huge because, I mean, it, it's challenging and it's based on how much effort are you going to be able to put forth yourself and not depend upon others. Yeah, and I'm thinking when I'm training teachers that are not science teachers, they always shut off in the beginning and they say, I'm not a science person. I can't do this. Like they mm -hmm. initially have that lack of confidence that they can't do it. And so that's one form of motivation where they're just not engaged because they just don't think they can do it. And that's something we need to be on alert for our students, right? Maybe they're just initially shutting off because they just don't see that as something they're capable of. And I remember you did an activity with your students on what is an engineer, what is a scientist, and you had different pictures up. And if students are constantly bombarded by the stereotypical role of a white male scientist, maybe students that don't look like that will never believe they can do it. So when you're like, hey, we're gonna be engineers today, they might think, oh, I'm, I can't be an engineer. People like me aren't engineers. Mm, that's so true. And that reminds me of when I went to college, when I first became a student at Texas A&M, I was going into the aerospace engineering department and I met with my advisor, who is also your advisor, I believe. Mm -hmm. And she, she told me, yeah. she said, she said, oh, you're, you need to change majors. And I was like, well, well, what do you mean? And I wasn't even a student yet. This was before school even started. And she goes, well, um, you're a girl. And so you're, you're going to flunk out. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, you don't know me. And what, like, based on what? Because I'm a female and you're also female telling me this. And you're the advisor for the aerospace engineering department. So yeah, it gets in your head. And that makes me think how many other students came to see her and were told things that, you know, if, you, if the advisor is telling you this, then do you believe it? How many people tell you, oh, well, they're just not, not good at problem solving, or you hear kids that their parents will tell them, oh, well, you know, you just struggle with this. 
well, then if people have already labeled them, then that's where they think that they are. I feel that a lot with my students. I'll get to see how they start shutting down before even attempting something. And I'll get to the root of it where they're like, oh, well, I've never been good at this. Like that means nothing with what you're Mm -hmm. doing today. It doesn't matter if you haven't been good at whatever it was previous to this. I'm telling you right now, you have what it takes. So let's try it out together. Exactly. And that was the theme of the, the class. You remember that learning cycle or the 5E model where they're just the engage part? And mm-hmm. we just think if we play a flashy enough video, something that's really cool, the kids are just going to be hooked in this lesson and they're going to persevere and complete the challenge. Well, we know as educators, that's really not what happens. It's a great way to get them interested, change their mood, perhaps get them excited. But when they hit that first roadblock, they're going to need that self-efficacy, that confidence that they can do it. They're going to have to have some other motivators beyond that cool video in the beginning. Right. And I think that's why it's really important that we keep emphasizing this reflection piece of when we do an engineering design challenge of being able to say, Hey, do you remember that you had these challenges? How did you react to it? How did you overcome that hurdle? So then the next challenge that you give to them and they start looking at it like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. I don't know where to start. They're like, remember where you were the last challenge and how you overcame this difficulty and then you did it. We're doing it again and you will do it again. So they can see themselves, oh, I did overcome, I can overcome. Yep, you hit the exactly where I was going with this. That's kind of the big takeaway here. Whatever their motivation is, you know, you want to get down to the underlying reason, but also you've got to build up that confidence step by step. So one other piece of motivation is task difficulty. So maybe they, they see what you've given them and they're like, whoa, that is way too hard. Even if they have the confidence, that task might just be above their head and they just cannot see a way forward. One example of this, I do the weather balloon project with my kids Mm. and I show this awesome video and we're like, we're going to launch this to the edge of space. They're excited. And then they're like, wait a minute, we're going to do it. Like, I don't understand. Like, then they just shut down and they're like, I can't do this. This is too hard. This is what real engineers and scientists do. And so what I have to do is break it down. I'm like, okay, turn on the GoPro camera. Got it. Okay, let's record something. Why is this important? How can we use this GoPro camera on our payload? What is a payload? And so step by step, you're introducing this bigger project in these chunks of information of these tasks that they can handle. So it's still good for them to keep the big picture, but it builds their confidence. It's what teachers call scaffolding right? Mm-hmm. You start with a lot of support and then you slowly take it away. And all of a sudden they're doing it on their own and they don't even realize it. And that's when you're building up the self-efficacy. And another piece, which I hadn't really thought about is the value of this activity or of this content. Is it important to me? So there's different ways they might see value. So there's utility So is this even useful? Maybe my goal in life is to be an actress. I want to be on Broadway. Why should I care about the science content? Why do I care about photosynthesis, right? How can we Mm -hmm. show it's useful? Interest, and that really fits hand in hand, but is it even an interesting topic to them? And then attainment value, which means does it fit in who I am as a person? Like, is this something that I care about? How, how does that resonate with you as a teacher? Yeah, that's so true. And that's what I'm struggling with, with this one student is I don't think he sees 
where he can fit my class into whatever his direction in life is. So, and he's, he's a sixth grader. So I know getting into that teenage years, everything is about you. So it's hard to even do, sometimes the motivation can be like, well, look at the problems that you can solve to help humanity. Look at how you could bring fresh water to civilizations that don't have access to that or all these other list of issues that the UN has noted as global problems. But they're like, oh, I don't care about that. Like, how does that help me right now? So yeah, I think that's huge. So how do we get them to see value if it doesn't apply directly to them? And sometimes when you're trying to do a real world connection, like with engineering design, like you're talking about, you know, we're building this solar tower for a colony on the moon. Like that's really cool to us. But maybe a sixth grader is like, would resonate more with, hey, let's build a device that helps you wake up in the morning or makes your video games better or cooks you this really fancy breakfast, like a little robotic device. I was asking the middle school uh, space club students if they were to design a robot, what would it do? And I'm sure you can imagine the answers were it would do my homework, it would do my chores. And that's their life, right? They don't think necessarily about these bigger issues that we're trying to connect projects to. Maybe we just got to bring it to their level of this can make your life easier by helping you do your chores better. <laughs> right? Mm. So getting creative on that could be a possible approach. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that's one of the reasons why we do the student sparks that we've talked about before is a spark is what kids are passionate about, what their interests really are. Once we find out that they're really interested in video games or love football or love dancing, then we can see how we can connect those science and engineering topics that we're going to teach them to what is most interesting to them already. And they may not even know that there was a connection, but there usually is. Exactly. And that also leads to student choice, allowing students to pick their project and whenever we're trying to talk about, let's say, science content, um, learning about photosynthesis comes to mind again, having them design the experiment to test how plants grow. Instead of just telling them this is how plants grow, this is the experiment you're gonna do, we have to do it this way, what we call the cookie cutter labs, they just read the instructions and do it, giving mm -hmm. them some choice in it. Well, what do you wanna plant? We have this uh, plants in space activity, it's one of our STEM space at home videos, where the kids get to pick the seeds that they want to watch grow and they learn about what's required for plants to grow. That's one way where they take ownership because they have a role in making a decision. And sometimes we feel like we have to do everything for the students, but that's making our job harder. They want to feel some sense of control because there's a lot of things they don't control. And I think giving them that um, really helps with motivation. That is so true. So do you think it's, beneficial in that way to have like a makerspace with task cards that they can choose from where they have even choices on what they're going to be learning about that day? Yeah, that's a great idea. I know a lot of people do that where they have different stations set up and instead of having you have to do this activity, you let them pick. And the same with the engineering design process. There's different ways where we can get the students to experience engineering design and iterations and maybe allowing them to pick their design challenge doesn't always work. We can't let them control everything um, because we need to have some control on who's learning what. We only have certain materials, but just keeping that in mind whenever you're really struggling with students, changing it up a little, handing it over to them and say, okay, what do you guys want to work on? 
maybe that will increase some of the motivation. Yeah. I've been thinking about even putting like a suggestion box on my door where students can anonymously, as long as they write what grade, so I know what class, um, (laughs) to ask what topics they want to learn about or what things that they would like to make. And then I'd be able to structure it so that they learn the concepts and the skills that I Mm -hmm. want them to learn, but they're actually doing something that was their idea. Yeah, I like that. And and I'm also thinking, I'm not telling teachers to just let the students take the lead. <laughs> yeah. We are still the ones in control. Uh, another example of this, we do a lunar colony project where I provide the structure of this big challenge. They have to design a base on the moon, but the students have a huge role in determining, okay, what are going to be my water solutions, my oxygen solutions? They integrate what you mentioned, the spark. So for entertainment, they're going to play football. Well, what does football look like in a lesser gravity? They, ha- they still have to use the same content, but it's directed by their interest. So this is a complicated topic in the sense that you can't just show the fun video or just have a really flashy project, like bring out the drones or the rockets. You know, sometimes <laughs> we get caught up in just how can we get kids excited versus what are our real goals here? We really want students to learn we want them to have a bigger sense of self and that they can do it. Give them the confidence um, that they can continue on in their learning. Because when it gets tough, that flash to video in the beginning isn't going to help much. It's really getting down to the, to the underlying motivational factors. Yeah, I think that's going to be a huge help moving forward and thinking through what is our why and making sure that everything is aligned to that. And if our students are not engaged, then we're not meeting our why because they're not learning. So how can we balance what we need to teach with how they are able to learn it? Exactly. So if any teachers have strategies they use to help with motivation, we'd love to hear it. 